My friends, I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. I neglected to mention at the beginning of the service that today we are celebrating the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord. It's a minor feast in the church year, and it happens 40 days after the birth of Christ, which puts us out of chronological order with um, some of the other readings we've had since Christmas, but um, I think today's a a good day, even though it's the first of February, to have this lesson. Um, I know it used to be appointed for the first Sunday after Christmas. It's a lovely, tender story, and it fits nicely, I think, with the epiphany theme of the light of God's salvation through Jesus. It reminds me a little of my first days with my grandson, William, when he was born. He's now seven years old. The time goes so quickly. But I remember on my daughter-in-law's second day home from the hospital, um, she wanted to run a few errands. My son had gone back to work, and I volunteered to watch the baby. (laughs) And uh, I watched the baby. I held him in a soft little blue blanket, and I watched him. And I watched him, and I watched him for about two hours that afternoon. I just sat, and I, I just wondered at his, you know, perfect little hands and his little lips. He looked just like my ex-husband, which <laughs> God has a sense of humor, you know. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> And he still kind of does. But anyway, um, he does. Um, I just praised and gave thanks to God for him, you know, in my mind. I was just praying there for a long, long time. So when my daughter-in-law got home from the, wherever she had gone, she said, oh, you look like you haven't moved an inch. And I said, I haven't. It was such a joy. Well, I've always loved this story from Luke 2, about the two aging prophets, one male, one female, which, by the way, this is the 50th, the year of the 50th anniversary of the ordination of women in the ELCA. So there's my little plug there, are biblical women. <laughs> so, biblical women who were prophets and preachers, and Anna was one of them. So these two people had been longing for such a long time through generations, for the one who would be the Messiah and who would save their people. Could you imagine waiting and longing for a child for generations? It's hard to even understand. Simeon was sent by the Holy Spirit to the temple that day, and for Anna, it was just natural for her to be in the temple where she was constantly uh, praising God and praying. Yesterday, I got to thinking about that. Luke mentions her age was 84, and I kind of wondered, well, why, why did he mention that? And then I realized that 84 is 12 times 7. Those are two perfect numbers in biblical language. So it's kind of like double perfection. So she was at the age of completion that she would actually see the Messiah. 
So he comes with this poor couple who only have two small doves to offer as sacrifice. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was Jewish. Five times in this passage it says that they, the parents did things according to the law. His parents fulfilled Jewish Old Testament law by bringing him to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And in the previous verse, it says that when he was eight days old, they had taken him to the temple to be circumcised and to be named. Mary and Joseph had a devout Jewish family. They lived according to the law of Moses. And then, suddenly, Simeon breaks into song. You've probably heard me say before that the first two chapters of Luke are kind of the Rodgers and Hammerstein version of Scripture. Because in those first two chapters, there's four songs. And there's there's none in the rest of that, that book. The Magnificat, the Gloria Dei, the Benedictus, and the Nunc Dimittis which have all been incorporated into our liturgy, our Christian liturgy over the years. So Simeon takes this baby in his arms and sings of thanksgiving and praise to God. He acknowledges that he can now die in peace, having seen the fulfillment of God's promise to him that he would see the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of Gentiles and of all people. He would be the light of God's salvation for everyone. In this story from Luke, we kind of have these two Old Testament figures, Simeon and Anna, giving way to New Testament hope in Jesus. God's word is fulfilled. A few years back, um, many years back now, um, when I took my first call to Kentwood, I would drive home to Ohio every two or three weeks because we had not yet sold our house down there. So um, I would travel along Route 23 through Ann Arbor. And most of you probably know there's a couple of big curves there. And as I was driving, uh, it was at Christmas time. I came past Domino's Farms. I don't know if it's still there, but it used to be along that one of those curves. And as I came around the curve, I looked up in the sky, and here was this huge um, exhibit of lights that painted a picture of an old man holding a baby. And it was just breathtaking. At first I thought, oh, it must be Santa Claus, so I looked again. Nope, no, no red outfit, no hat, you know, just this old man and a baby. And then I thought, well, maybe it's supposed to be God. Well, I didn't really know, but to me, that picture in the sky was Simeon holding baby Jesus. The contrast of the old man holding the new generation, the new promise, was absolutely spectacular, and I will always keep that in my mind. The stole I am wearing today was a gift to me from an older pastor. Um, 
he and his wife were members of the congregation that I helped to serve while I was in seminary, kind of like Joni is doing here. And they were in ill health, and I would come and visit them and pray with them. Often I took my children along, and my children um, called, called them the little couple because neither one of them were more than five feet tall. So we would go and visit the little couple. And I learned a lot about ministry from them, so I'm very honored to wear David's um, stole. But shortly before I left Ohio, we had a worship service, and this story was the text. And I remember Pastor Durkop, that was his name, singing a solo. And he had this faltering, elderly voice. And to me, it just sounded like old Simeon singing. And he sang, I want to walk as a child of the light. I want to walk with Jesus. And as he sang the third verse, it brought tears to my eyes, knowing that he would not live much longer. I'm looking for the coming of Christ. I want to be with Jesus. When we have run with patience the race, we shall know the joy of Jesus. In him there is no darkness at all. The night and the day are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. This is certainly, I think, a beautiful modern-day version of the song of Simeon. We are grafted into the Jewish family of Jesus through holy baptism. Martin Luther assured himself of God's love and grace when he felt tempted by the devil by shouting at the devil, I am baptized. Maybe we should try that sometime when we're having some troubles. Shouting at the devil, I am baptized. I belong to God. God claims me as his child. We also certainly make the sign of the cross to remind us that we are baptized. We are part of God's family. When children are brought to church and are baptized, they no longer just belong to their parents. They belong to the whole family of God. We all promise to raise the child in the Christian faith, I'm thinking that when I move to Ohio to live with my son and his family, I will be privileged to be part of that faith formation for my grandchildren, to teach them about prayer, to teach them about a God who loves them, who died for them and rose again. And I hope in that way that I will be a blessing to them. R. Allen Culpepper, Culpepper writes in the New Interpreter's Bible, The observance of religious requirements and rituals has fallen on hard times. Essential to Judaism is the praise of God in all of life. The Jewish law taught that God was to be honored in one's rising up and lying down, in going out and coming in, in how one dressed and what one ate. 
The pressures of secularism and modern life have again reduced the significance of ritual observations in the lives of most Christians. Busy schedules, dual career marriages, and after-school activities mean that families eat fewer meals together. Prayer before meals and family Bible study time are observed in fewer homes today than they were just a few generations ago. For many, religious rituals are reduced to church attendance on Christmas and Easter and to socially required ceremonies at births, weddings, and funerals. The marking of both daily and special events with rituals that recognize the sacredness of life and in the presence and the presence of God in the everyday is practically extinct. The result has been that God has receded from the awareness and experience of everyday life. Many assume that God is found only in certain places, in sacred buildings, in holy books, or in observances led by holy persons. Their lives, on the other hand, move in a secular realm devoid of the presence of the holy. Daily experiences are reduced and impoverished. They have no meaning beyond themselves, no opening to transcendence. Little room for mystery remains in the everyday as it becomes increasingly subject to secularism and technology. What have we lost by removing ritual observances from our daily experience? He then gives a challenge. The challenge to modern Christians, therefore, is to find effective rituals for celebrating the presence of God in the ordinary. We need to learn to greet the morning with gratitude, to celebrate the goodness of food, family, and friendship at meals, to recognize mystery in beauty, and to mark rites of passage, like a 16th birthday and the freedom and responsibility that come with a driver's license. Rituals are not restrictive. They celebrate the goodness and mercy of life. I think we can be more creative as we learn to have some rituals at home. I have one clergy friend, and um, she says a blessing for food. She says, um, food is God's love made edible. And, and that's it. That, that's the prayer. And, you know, it, it says what it needs to. We have talked this Epiphany season about seeing the light of Christ all around us. We see God present in an infant, in an old woman, and an old man, in bread and wine, in each other, and in the events of our day. Where God is present, there is salvation for those with faith to see. May our response to the revelation of God's light in our lives bring praise and thanksgiving in song and worship. Amen. We have been taking a few moments to share where we have experience God's light in our lives, our ordinary lives, every day. And uh, I want to take a few moments to do that again this morning.
Um, so think about where you have seen God's light for you this week. Um, any thoughts? Becky, back there. Um, this has been a long week, kind of a long month at school, but um, every once in a while a child says something that seems so small but so big. Mm-hmm. And this week, um, those of you who know me, my hair is all gray and not a real beautiful color. But she came up to me and ran her hands through my hair and said, your hair is such a beautiful color. And I thought, thank you, because it isn't. But, you know, I think what she meant was, I really liked you a lot. Uh-uh. You know, I, I think it was more than that. that She liked my inside rather than my hair. But anyway, I'm thankful for that very genuine compliment. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Um, Tracy's got one over here. And Friday and Saturday, um, Jonathan and Kathy Tokrak and... Um, Kathy Crawford and Mike Lampin and I um, all had the privilege to go to the Calvin Symposium on Worship. Um, There were 32 countries represented, and I think 62 high schools, colleges, and seminaries around the world were there. Um, One of the things that was really moving besides that fact (laughs) was um, there was a panel um, discussion during a plenary session about um, loving our neighbor through worship. And the panel members were a man from Ireland. Um, He said his neighbors changed at 6 o'clock when Brexit happened. (laughs) Uh, A man from Ghana, a woman from Lebanon, um, a native person from Canada, and an American. And they were all Christian leaders in their homes, in their home areas. And it was just very moving to be a part of the um, uh, uh, global um, kingdom of God, of Mm -hmm. Christians. It was really moving, and we we appreciate the privilege to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, light to the nations, right? Yeah, it's very moving. Calvin is such a great resource to have so close by. This is not nearly so grandiose and glorious as what Tracy just said, but God's light comes in little ways. I got a, I've talked before about my wonderful neighbors. I got a phone call, and it was from my neighbor across the street, and he said, Are you home? I've got something for you. And he came across the street. He showed me a picture, and I didn't even know what it was. He said, Do you remember this? I said, No. He said, That's the trailer hitch. He said, I finally sold it, and he handed me <laughs> some money for it. And it was totally out of the blue, totally unexpected. And I said, well, would you like some of this, a percentage of this? Oh, no, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough if I were doing things for money. You couldn't afford me. No, it's for you. So that's just a little thing, but God shows me so often in my life through these little things, mm-hmm. these loving things that people do that are Totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Brian, Bill's got one up front here. Oops, so does Marcia. 
I've been made aware of how people feel about you. When you go into a store, they hold the door open. They say, hope you have a good day. And when you're on the scooters, which I really appreciate, um, they'll come up to me and say, can I help you get something down from the shelf? And later down the uh, aisle, somebody else will say, were you looking for something special? They just come up and say nice things. They want to help. I'm just an old person on a scooter. And uh, they just welcome you and help you and make you feel really good. I think that's the Lord speaking to. Show you God's love, right? Brian? Passwords came to mind when, during your sermon. Passwords. Passwords. Passwords are a pain. I hate having to think of a new password every three months to get into my system. <laughs> and it's hard to do, and it's hard to come up with new ones. And I've stumbled into something, which I think meshes with your sermon, about how we are not doing the things in secular life nowadays like we used to years ago. And it is, my, my passwords have been... By word alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. And you type that in several times a day, and you think about it. And it's like a little prayer when you log in. So a new, a new password could be, come Lord Jesus 2020. Uh-huh. And then every time you have to type it in, it's a little annoying, but <laughs> you can still get... You get the message. Get the message, yes. Wow, that's great. Thanks. Yeah. Anybody else? Along with Calvin, um, yeah, I have one to share. I went to the um, St. Olaf um, choral concert last night at Calvin, and it was one of my Christmas gifts from a dear friend. And um, Anton Armstrong, the director, was the choir director at my first call church like a few years before I came. So they had a fabulous choir. But anyway, it's just good once a year to hear Bach sung well. <laughs> so that's my Lutheran core. So, um, so that was the light of Christ to me. Oh, they're a beautiful choir, everything they sang. Thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God. <laughs>